Hi everyone, as always it's Floyd Vanyard here. Thank you for joining us on Engineers. Um, today, in this episode, we're joined by Ezra Friedman, who is VP of Ventures with Clavio. Now, for those of you who don't know, Clavio are a leading player in marketing automation with a platform designed to automate and optimize their customers' marketing campaigns. To date, they've raised over 700 million in funding, and they've grown from around 100 people to, um, in the last five years, over 1,500. So they've been on some huge growth trajectory in recent years. Today, we're going to be talking around a range of topics, including scaling data science teams at high pace, how interdisciplinary teams maintain productive relationships through hyper growth, and how to separate the noise around AI and data science these days. Firstly, Ezra, thank you very much for joining us on this episode today. It's a privilege to welcome you. Um, but let's kick off with an intro to you, your background, your journey with Clavio, and maybe you can give us a bit more insight into your recent role as uh, VP of Ventures and how you're impacting the core products of the business as well. Yeah, um, thank you, Lloyd. Nice to uh, get to do this with you. We met once before and uh, enjoyed speaking with you off the, off the uh, camera. So looking forward to speaking today. Uh, yeah, so I, um, I guess my background, I studied mathematics or uh, maths, as you call it, and, um, but uh, always into uh, developing software. And so my whole career has been around building software. And uh, I'll fast forward to joining Clavio uh, about five years ago. And Clavio uh, CEO, Andrew Bialecki, wanted to uh, sort of make data science not just something they sort of, uh, uh, something they practiced just as part of their, their existence and part of their you know, uh, software, but they wanted to, he wanted a, a real group that was dedicated to data science. So up until then, I think, you know, Clavio was doing a lot of interesting things with data. Um, you know, customers thought of us as a, a data science uh, focused company, but it was in hyper growth mode, uh, doubling every year. And so a lot of the engineering attention was building features that customers were asking for, uh, scaling systems and, you know, any time, you know, assist when a company's growing at that rate, you sort of need to invent new ways of doing things. Like every year, you know, you come up with something, maybe it lasts for a few years, but then you, you need a new solution. So a lot of the attention and challenging problems fall into that category. So I joined actually along with someone I'd been working with. Uh, we had started a company together previously, uh, Eric Silberstein, and we, uh, set out on building a, a data science practice uh, in the company. And I think we're going to talk some about that, you know, some of the later topics, but, you know, in summary, did that for four years, um, hired, uh, I think around maybe 50 or 60 uh, folks doing, uh, sort of at the cross-section of engineering, uh, data science and product. and uh, and then about a year ago, started in my new role as uh, VP of Ventures. So Ventures is uh, a a group that you know we're we're looking at sort of innovation and uh, trying things that you know maybe wouldn't be 
totally on on the roadmap, uh, maybe aren't even, you know, maybe they're a little bit peripheral to what we're doing as a company today, um, or maybe uh, some of our work is in different verticals. So our, our primary vertical is e-commerce, but we also have customers uh, that are non-e-commerce. Uh, so it's a, it's a bit of a broad area. Um, my focus at the moment is on uh, sort of building tools for developers. Clavio, as we've matured, uh, you know, we have a lot of companies that are building solutions that and use Clavio, and it's a big part of our sort of growth strategy is, you know, engaging our, our developers. So we've done a lot of work on improving our APIs. Um, and my, uh, I have a ventures team that's working on building tools so you can more effectively build software on top of Clavio. Okay, fine. So you're doing the, the kind of, from a high level, you're, you're dealing with a lot more of the, the newer innovation maybe at times putting your neck on the line with, with what to implement and how best to implement it, right? Yes. <laughs> Risky business. Yes, it is. Um, but, you know, it's a, and Clavio is a company where, you know, I have memories from my earliest days, like when, if you try something and you give it your all and it doesn't go right, like it's really the type of company that's supportive and says, all right, like what can we learn from this mistake? Or even when there were, you know, system outages, it's, it's not like a, a blame culture. It's very much, uh, right. What can we learn? And, uh, like, let's, let's try things. Yeah, sure. And I think it's almost romantic when you, when we first met and you told me the, the, the story and kind of what that title means. Um, I don't, I can't think of a better person, of course, to be taking on that role because of how early on in the journey for Clavio you joined. Um, and the fact that, of course, you joined in a very technical capacity, you've obviously seen the challenges that a lot of the teams that you're supporting are going to be going through much of the time. So I think long may it continue, and I'm sure you bring huge value in that role as well, no doubt. Um, I appreciate the vote of confidence. <laughs> Talk to us now about a bit more about Clavio's offering and, and what makes Clavio so compelling. I think the growth trajectory and the funding um, from the outside makes it quite obvious that what you've got going is is really unique and quite powerful. Um, but talk to us about really what makes the business special in, in what you do. Yeah, and one thing about that funding, um, you know, I'd say not typical sort of venture funding in that, uh, you know, it's, it's powering different ways that we're growing, but the company, you know, largely it's just really been organic growth um, and not not like burning tons of uh, cash to, uh, you know, for this one in a million shot. It's uh, the company's had, you know, customers and low churn rate and high growth uh, the whole time. I've That's been. good. Um, so Clavio, as you mentioned, it's a marking automation uh, platform, which is sort of a broad category. Uh, we sort of want to empower the type of communication with your customers that, you know, you may have had in a more traditional uh, bricks and mortar type environment, like the one-on-one -on -one, uh, personal communications, but to do that at scale. So we think of, you know, we're almost helping the brands and their, you know, messaging and their, uh, their image and helping you communicate that 
at scale to whether you have tens of customers or millions of customers. And to do that, uh, we're very, you know, we're believers that if you bring a lot of data into uh, the Clavio database, into the system, uh, you can do really interesting things with regards to segmentation and analytics and personalization. So we, I think, you know, it's one of the hardest technical problems that uh, I think our CEO sort of insisted on early on, and we've continued to uh, manage and uh, again, had to invent different things to, to deal with um, and spend a lot of money, uh, you know, in terms of uh, compute and storage. But we encourage our customers to bring all different data sources into Clavio. So we have hundreds of different integrations. We have these APIs that I mentioned where you can sort of send whatever you want. Um, our customers put a, you know, a snippet on their website and send in data from the website. So it really helps you get this full picture of your customer. Uh, you know, the basics are like, okay, what, what have they bought from you in the past? But also things like, uh, you know, their, their engagement uh, sort of patterns with your messaging, their engagement patterns on your website. Um, if you choose to integrate with, say, a support system, like that can be really interesting. Have they opened any support tickets? Uh, have they given it put any reviews, you know, written reviews on your product? So we encourage you to bring in all this data and we have all sorts of data science uh, tools that, you know, are sort of sit on top of that, and help you understand the data. Uh, and then we have all sorts of automations where you can sort of omni-channel messaging and, and uh, it's a very effective software and you know, our customers, like there's real ROI, uh, you know, when they, when they turn on Clavio and, and use it the way it's designed, uh, it's like, it can be game changing. Sure. And do you, so it's obviously, it can auto extract certain data depending on how the customer's plugging Clavio in, right? So like you mentioned, if there's, if it's customer um, behavior or orders via uh, an e-commerce site, for example, then, um, because I know a lot of automation platforms, they, they're a lot more manual, right? So it sounds like Clavio actually gives you beyond that automation tool or tools also acts, I guess, like an analytics platform, right? Yeah. So it's giving you feeding, it's being fed data and it's, it's showing you what that behavior looks like and how it can optimize interaction, which I think probably sets it apart from, from a lot of competitors, competitors I would imagine. Um, but that sounds super interesting. And, and do you, in terms of customer base, is there, do you feel like it's most powerful within a particular sector or customer type, or is it really quite dynamic in terms of who might use it and how it can perform? Um, yeah, so no, I think you know, I did mention our our sort of primary vertical is e-commerce, and I think yeah. you know there's certain pieces of the software that are are probably mostly geared towards businesses that get orders. But you know, from from when I started and started meeting with customers, you do meet all types of businesses that are effectively using this software. Um, We've done a push recently into uh, hospitality, uh, 
Right. And I think that's an example where, you know, if a lot of, I think it started to happen where some maybe tech enabled brands like, I don't know, Chipotle or Sweet Green, or like, you know, some, some companies are paying attention to that. But I've always thought, you know, if I go to this restaurant, even a local restaurant, and, you know, maybe I've ordered a certain dish in the past, or maybe it's clear that I'm vegetarian, like, you know, wouldn't it be nice if they could send out a campaign that's like, oh, we have a new menu item. You know, do you want to come try it out? And here's a, maybe a discount. Um, and I, so I think there's a lot of lost opportunity uh, for that type of, you know, customer relationship in hospitality. Um, we also have integrations. And the way we're approaching these largely is by adding to that suite of integration. So sure. uh, integrating with platforms like Toast or other uh, uh, restaurant platforms who are also uh, have set up a number of wellness uh, integrations. So if you're running a yoga studio is a great example. Uh, but we, we believe, you know, what about things like your doc a relationship with a physician um, or education? Uh, it's, the, the tool is really, you know, you're, in any of those industries, you're going to want to be communicating with your customers or clients or students in a personal way, and Clavio can do that. And then in terms of the size of business, you know, we've probably, it's, we, all types of businesses like brands that are, you know, global, huge businesses, again, with, you know, many uh, millions of customers uh, can sign on for Clavio, which is amazing, but you can also sign on for a free plan with, you know, 20 customers or, or even, you know, really as you're just starting out. So we want to sort of be able to grow with you. And a lot of work has gone into, you know, making sure we can support even the, the largest brands. And I think that's, uh, you know, it, it can be a little bit disruptive to some of the big enterprise players who <clears throat> are used to, I don't know, selling these, very complicated contracts with all sorts of, you know, add-ons and uh, multi-year terms and all the, you know, and professional services and all this. And like, no, we're still, it's month to month. You, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to hold you against your, if you're That's not happy as a customer. So it's a floating license that you got. The, the model is floating, right? So yeah. it's month to month, you can back out whenever you want. You can join whenever you want. Okay. Yeah. And I think, you know, and part of it is we, right, we, we believe we have a great product and I think, right, our churn rates sort of indicate that, but also, right, if you want to go somewhere else, we don't want to be in the way of you uh, doing what you think is right for your business. That's confidence in the product and I guess also an ethical mindset as to how you want to do business as well. I think you'd rather let the customer go than have um, a majority of the year with the customer complaining that it's not right for them, but they're tied in, right? So I think exactly. <laughs> it's, and it's we, certain... you know, we, we actually have like a Slack channel for boomerangs. Okay. Uh, so we have like, you know, there's not, it's not that uncommon. You know, if someone does decide to go to another system that maybe a year later, they, they come back and, um, and we welcome them, but, you know, we don't hold it against them for, for trying something else. And, you know, hopefully we can learn maybe what, you know, if there are things that they got that they wish they had in Clavio, maybe we can try. Sure. 
Understood. Nice. And now maybe kind of set the scene for, for our listeners, our viewers on what Clavio was like as a business when you joined five years ago, because I think, especially when we think about the maturity of the data science department, and I know you mentioned, you touched on this briefly in the, in the intro, but I think it's, it's really interesting to understand when you go from, not just from a commercial perspective, to go from essentially a small company to grow to the size that you have today, a, a huge, almost corporate, um, the, especially when you think about data science function um, and how the processes work and how you scale a function, talk to us about what that looked like then versus kind of what you and your colleagues have managed to build to what it looks like today. Sure. Yeah. No. And so when I yeah, joined around around 100 people um, based in Boston, and this is, you know, pre, like pre-COVID in terms of like, you know, the remote uh, world. Everyone was on site. It was Everyone always was busy in the office. Yeah. I mean, I used to, I would like, if I had a doctor's appointment, you know, I would come in to the office, do work, like go to the doctor's appointment, come back. You know, and nowadays it feels like, wow, you know, who, who does that? I've got the doctor, so I have the day off or I'll, I'll work from home. Yeah. Right, right. Or I also have this great, this memory of um, one of, one of the early sort of meetings, interviews. Um, it was a big snowstorm in Boston and I'm thinking like, okay, are they going to, you know, is anyone going to be at the office? Like, is this thing going to be called off? And I didn't hear anything. So, you know, I came in on the, on the subway and that boots, like really like deep snow. And I get into the <laughs> office and it was like packed with people. It, it was almost like you wouldn't even know that it was, um, anything it just wasn't an option to work from home. Yeah. No. And, and frankly, people, you know, that was part of the culture and part of the excitement of being there. Um, and I, right, that's another topic, maybe for another podcast, just about sort of remote work in general and sort of where we're landing on hybrid work. Um, but, you know, we still, we were never, you know, even back then, there were companies that were like remote companies, but that was not. Was it wasn't the, certainly wasn't the norm, right? And I, I, no. I think certainly um, it is a whole other topic, but certainly if it wasn't the norm from a company perspective, it certainly wasn't expected from, from an employee perspective. I think it was a, very much a privilege, right? Even to get the odd day working from home. So I think for the most part anyway, so we've definitely changed um, with the times. And I guess, I guess that is an important factor for certainly the maturity of your teams and how it's functioned especially when you think about internationalizing the, 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 the organization, the product, yeah. um, everyone works in weird and wonderful ways, but yeah, you, you carry on. Yeah. So, um, you know, but I think very much, uh, an environment where, you know, a lot of people solving hard problems, um, you know, a number of, there were probably, there were more fires, I'd say, you know, back then there, than there are today, as we've matured, we've sort of developed systems that, uh, are just able, like in by fires, I mean, you know, a system's having trouble or, uh, right. Just things that need a, a very reactive. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but you know, it was a very, uh, you know, people would wear many, many hats. And so when I joined, uh, I, you know, one of the first things that Eric and I said, we, we said before we hired any one, we wanted to like get our hands dirty and uh, build something into the product. Um, and we 
set a pretty ambitious goal. Like we wanted to do that within one quarter. Um, we wanted to like identify something in data science, like uh, build it and and deliver it. And you know, with the thinking, this would be a way to meet different people in the company to ideally meet with customers. Like we're very, uh, you know, you hear customer first probably all the time, but like, no, we, uh, when I joined, we went as far as every new engineering employee had to spend a week or something like a week on, um, support rotation. So like on chat, working directly with our customers, solving problems, which it was amazing and humbling. And it makes you, you know, really, um, it's just impressive how our support people, like the types of problems they can solve day in and day out. Um, now, also maybe not the, always the best experience for the customer because you have like, you know, people who aren't trained in this area and who don't have as much, they're also um, maybe newer employees. So as we've matured, that particular um, practice is is no longer but i i do think it demonstrates sort of right how much we want even engineers who you know in some companies are just like behind the computer and never talk to a customer uh, we wanted to really put everyone on the front on the front sure. line um but so right built this feature and actually the the first feature we worked on was this um a customer lifetime value uh, model and you know, what we saw was, uh, you know, when you mentioned with integrations, you know, we can bring in a lot of even historical data when you sign on to Clavio. So you could be your first day on the Clavio platform. And if you integrate with Shopify or BigCommerce or Magento or one of the, whatever e-commerce platform you're using, we like can immediately bring in the entire history of your store like every customer every order every return every like you name it and that's pretty there's something very interesting there like and we can start to do analytics and so uh what we would do is sort of take this data um run it through uh a sort of we worked off of a like a somewhat standard but published customer lifetime value model um, made some modifications to it based on sort of behavior we were seeing, uh, you know, among our customer base, and then would deploy this model. And this would be sort of specifically trained on your business's data. Okay. Um, and that's an important sort of piece there because, right, we sort of recognize that even though these businesses are all or largely e-commerce, they're they're very there's it's not like a homogenous group. You know, some are subscription businesses, some are selling B2B, some are like, you know, maybe you sell a, a high-end mattress or something. And, you know, so it's, you're not repeating your order. You're not buying a mattress every two months, you know, whereas if you're buying shampoo, it's a, a different story. So like yeah. the behavior of the customers is completely different. So we wanted to sort of, Take that into account and also there's like the privacy issue of you know your relationship with your customer and you're like you're entrusting clavio with your business's data and um we take that responsibility pretty seriously and 
right? We don't want to introduce any way that, you know, even indirectly that that data could be exposed to someone, you know, that you didn't intend it to be exposed to. Sure. Uh, so, right, pretty neat that when this feature went live, you know, you could, right, sign up for Clavio, maybe the historical sync would take, I don't know, depending on the size of your business, say minutes to a day. And once that data was there, we could train this model and um, you could predict things like, you know, uh, spend over time on both like an aggregate level and uh, individual profile level. And then you can do things like, you know, I want to identify customers who, and this is sort of the segmentation piece, who um, have a, you know, a likelihood to spend more than $100 in the next year and maybe send some certain messaging to that segment or um, customers who have likely churned with this idea of like probability of churn. So, um, and I want to send a certain, you know, type of message to them to try to win. That's like we call it win back. Campaign. Okay. So, um, yeah, so the, that was the first thing we did. And, you know, I think we, our first hire actually is a, a woman who's still with Clavio and has sort of um, really grown in her role. Um, someone who's real, like really strong in the math and statistics side of things, MIT trained, um, genius. But like, so Eric and I think we're more, well, I know we're more engineering. Like we had been all, like we'd know product and building product and building systems. Um, and math, but not, you know, like we started to realize, you know, like we all have gaps in our, in our skill sets. And so oh, our sure. first, our first thing was like, let's hire to fill those gaps. Uh, and, you know, so we, that was the first hire and um, we continued to hire. I think, you know, initially we thought we would, we wanted people who were not just going to sort of produce reports, but really like build product because maybe it was a product company and um, that's sort of how we measure, at least back then, that's how we measured velocity and output. And, you know, you'd say, hey, I shipped, like, what did you ship? I shipped this or I shipped that. And yeah, need to stay like, fresh, right? I think with the improvements of the rollouts, of, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but you're not, so, you know, I think at some company, like we like to distinguish ourselves, you know, just sort of, we call it like full stack data science. Like we don't just do the math and modeling, but we also build the product and we're not, and we'll build the back end, we'll build the front end and we'll, you know, we'll talk to the customers, like we'll do it all. And I think it's, it worked in that we were able to build a lot of stuff and we hired really smart people who were able to ramp up in ways that they probably, you know, didn't, Mad, you know, we had right, people who were like, I can't, I, I'm building, I'm building or something in React. Like, I, I never even heard of that before I got to Clavio, you know. Um, so, right, it was a very like exciting time. And I think for a lot of people, it was, um, I like to think great for their career and their skill sets. Um, and we were able to, to get all these things done. But you know, the reality is no one's going to be most strong in any 
sort of discipline. And we would sort of, when we'd interview people, we'd look at people on like three, uh, three parts of a triangle. So it's like your um, data science skills, so math, statistics, and we had different types of screenings to like probability, like assess that sort of thing. Then software engineering. So like everyone would have to do some of our coding exercises. Uh, and then also product. So like we wanted people again, who could think, put themselves in the shoes of a customer or talk to a customer. Um, so I think in the beginning, we were looking for people who like <clears throat> nailed it on all three of those <laughs> that quickly realized like, maybe we can't do that. But so then we were like, okay, well, if they are really strong in one, but like strong in two and maybe interested in the third. Um, and, you know, so that was part of the refining and, and that worked uh, for a while. And I think as, you know, as the team matured, a couple of things happened. One is, you know, because we were doing a lot of software engineering and, you know, we, it made sense for us to be like very closely aligned with the engineering department because sort of by design, we were off on the side and, you know, our, our CEO, again, AB was like, you know, there'll be some conflict, but like conflict's okay. And, you know, you're going to be, you know, software engineers can be kind of territorial and people are going to be like, hey, what is this data science team and what are they doing with our code? And we're going to mess <laughs> things up. And, um, so we did, there was definitely some, you know, some teething issues. What's that? Some teething problems. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, and then I'd sort of go to AB and say, hey, like, what? And he's like, yeah, good. You know, that's fine. Like, that means it's going right. Like, right. It shouldn't just be comfortable. Um, but, you know, as we matured, it would, it made sense to like the people who are really doing engineering to be, for example, at all the engineering, all hands meetings and to be, helping design the processes that engineer, you know, that they were then going to follow. And yeah. um, so we, we moved the data science team sort of into the umbrella of, of engineering. That was like right. one big step. And then actually more recently, as it's matured, we have sort of in a way broken it off again, but the, we have like a number of the people from who were part of the data science team who were doing a lot of great software engineering and primarily software engineering are now like, you know, we even changed some people's titles. Uh, there are no layoffs on this, but, um, you know, move people who are, their career is going to be more in software engineering, engineering. And then our data science team is doing a lot of data science and maybe in a little bit more traditional way, like supporting the business. So we have data scientists who are working with our, finance team on, you know, Clavio's own models. We had um, data science who are working with our different product teams and supporting um, research and AI features and, uh, and all sorts of things like that. So that's sort of the general evolution. So fully integrated rather than being nomads that are just kind of plugging away in the corner, right? Which I think, I think it's so interesting that it's that's still the case for most, for, for many businesses. I think it, when you talk about data science teams, it's um, even when there's a substantial software team, quite often there's such a segmentation between them yeah. um, and not a huge amount of synergy. And, and I guess it does come down to largely 
what the business is doing, the product that you're building, does it make sense to be fully integrated with engineering or is it going to be a case of treading on one another to one another's toes? I don't think there's a one size fits all, but it's interesting, especially when you talk around types of people that you would target as well when you first started out. That's really interesting. And I think naturally in a startup scale up, um, you do want people that can wear almost every hat, right? But I think as you get bigger, you realize that maybe that's not feasible. So do you do you feel that these days when it comes to hiring and building your teams, you're because, maybe because of the size, but maybe because of that evolution, um, you, you're able to be more specific in, okay, we know we're going to hire someone that's got significant gaps in particular areas, but we know that we need a real speciality in one or two areas, for example. So does that tend to be the case now rather than trying to find someone who can kind of do a bit of everything? Yes, and I'll give you one great, one makes me think of this fact, which is for a long time, we would hire the person and then like when they would join or right before they would join, we'd be like, oh, like, what are they going to do? Like, oh, what team, like, what are they going to work on? And we'd sort of scramble to like, you know, so we'd really hire the person and they would have no idea. They know they were joining Clavio, maybe their title, but like no real idea what they were going to work on. <laughs> and now I laugh because right now it's very much, you know, a specific hiring manager. Like we still, you know, we still interview people, like they'll meet different, like we might identify a specific hiring manager that looks good, but we might change, you know, but by the time they're hired, it's quite clear, like what team they're going to be working on. And by team, I don't just mean data science team. Like, you know, we have the, actually a team staffed here in London, the deliverability insights team. So this is some, a team that's specifically looking at a really interesting data problem, which is broadly called deliverability, which uh, for email is, you know, sort of do, do my messages go to the spam box or not is sort of the most right, okay. way to say it. And, um, but anyway, so right, we just pointing out how, how specific, you know, um, some of the teams, uh, or really all the teams have. have yeah. So it's not just about identifying specific skills when you hire them. You're a lot better now at actually um, specifying exactly where they're going to work and what they're working on. And I'm assuming because of the size of the team now, it's quite easy for your team to pivot between projects or business areas if they needed to. Um, and and I think that also means makes for a good culture, right? And I think from a retention perspective, um, makes life a lot easier if you've got um, if there's a very clear picture on where you sit and you want to pivot to a different team or yeah. different interest. Um, that must make life easier for you as well to have that structure, albeit maybe not always as fun as the days of kind of. I have an image now of you just being sat like in a in a um, a dingy office somewhere and you're just all fucking away at doing what you need to do. <laughs> maybe yeah. it wasn't so bad, but that's yeah. uh, that's the image I have in my head. Yeah, the only part that's not right is the dingy, like, and this is something where our CEO, you know, just when I first met him, just like such confidence about the trajectory of the bit that the business would keep growing. And, and, you know, I sort of discounted a little bit, like, come on, like, you know, every, like, you know, if you're raising money, you have to say that, like, um, you felt it was a bit over-optimistic. Yeah, I was like, I was like come on, like, we're not going to hit that number. And then, and similarly, you know, it was a really, it was actually like a really nice office. It was completely packed full because we had grown so much, but like it was sort of class A downtown Boston office space. Um, I had started a company 
Uh, and, you know, our part of our approach was don't overspend on things like office spaces. So we had some like pretty, even when we were doing pretty well as a business, like we had some pretty crappy uh, <laughs> spaces. I some stories that like one was broken into overnight. Like just weird, you know, not, not, not great. But so there's nothing like that. You were certainly treated well, even in the early days. Yeah, right? I was like, I was like, wow, look at this. Yeah, this is like, there's a, you know, a front, uh, someone at the door and, um, and catered lunches and we, or not every day, but, you know, it's like, and, but part of it was he sort of knew, right, the amount we would spend on that. It's like sort of irrelevant given sort of where we were heading as a company. I mean, he went like, and he's, and so, we hit those milestones or we beat the ones that he had given me that I couldn't believe. And that sort of continued to happen. So you just sort of have to believe him now. Yeah. Long may it continue. Yeah. <laughs> exactly we, that. We did things like um, one year after black. So black Friday, cyber Monday is like, um, we call it it's like the super bowl of e-commerce. You know, it, these are two, I'm giving two very American things, but you know, this is our Black Friday. I know is here, and I know people watch this. So, um, it you after that's done. There's a lot of work prepping for it. Um, actually, in this office here, I have like there's a countdown clock counting down the number of days until the next Black Friday, like 111. And I locked it this morning. But um, w when it's over, there's a big sort of if things went well, big relief and. So there was a tradition where we would do something with the whole company. And one year we um, chartered an air, a plane to go from Boston down to Miami, which is not very close. It's like a three hour flight. And to go watch the New England Patriots, um, American football team, play the Dolphins. Look at that. <laughs> and it was like, and I remember feeling again, like, what are we, are we, you know, it, Why are we spending on? all this money? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was amazing. And it was the most fun day. And it was bonding. And we still, right, people still, I'm telling a story about it right now. So. Still now. So it's core cool memory, isn't it? I'd yeah. like to see you charge for enough planes to get everyone down there these days, though. I think those <laughs> days are gone, aren't they? Yeah. I think <laughs> yeah. I think finding a venue for you all, for you all would be, would be hard that. enough. When we think about the engineering and the, the kind of data challenges that your departments have, and certainly that you've experienced over the last five years or so, um, what would you say are some of the kind of biggest challenges that you've faced, both as a business grown, but also technically? Yeah. Um, right. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the technical side. Um, you know, as I mentioned, this is a business that, you know, for many years was doubling or more every year. And um, that's exponential growth. and that means you end up with really big numbers. And so um, you it's, there are a lot of challenges because when you're, you know, and it's part of the, the hard parts of being a successful company is that you have to deal with growth. And the good parts are you have a healthy business, you have revenue, you can hire more people and all of that, but it is challenging. So, you know, even things like that initial model, the customer lifetime value model, I was telling you about, um, we had to think about, okay, can we train, first of all, like, let's talk about training. So if 
a customer has a million, if one of our customers has a million of, of their customers, um, and maybe they've been in business for four years, uh, you know, how many orders is that over time? And like, right, can we, can we train uh, the model in a reasonable amount of time? And then there's also the question of what's a reasonable amount of time. Um, you also have to think about cost uh, a little bit. And actually one, this is another way I think, I, I think it's been good for Clavio, but like we haven't really focused on cost of compute. Um, we, we're starting to now as we mature because we can and because like the potential benefits are so great and there's like an environmental component to it too. Like, right, it's not just cost, but also energy. And uh, But right for years, it was more about performance uh, rather than cost. But, um, you know, so that like one one side is on the training and, you know, depending on the model, you know, there's different techniques you can do like sampling and, you know, there's statistically sound ways to uh, use less data to get the same results. And so we would explore things like that. Um, and, but then there's also on the predict side, you know, what are the expectations of the customer when, for example, they build a segment, um, how long can that take uh, to appear and what's reasonable? And that's something where actually as recently as a few months ago, we did our like another overhaul of that whole system, like a reinvention of that system in order to make it um, faster for, for even our largest customers. And, you know, that was one area where we always had kind of an edge over our competitors because I don't know, like really strong engineers who came up with really great ways of, of doing it. Um, but as you grow and as our customers grow, you know, these things become, you know, generally can become slower and how do you, how do you get around it? So uh, in data science, right, these problems are absolutely there. So thinking about, again, ways to like cache different data or ways to maybe simplify the problem a little or um, just be able to, to accommodate that kind of scale. Yeah, but, I guess I guess the scale that you've gone to as well with over 100,000 customers and, and um, when you go from a smaller business with a smaller pool, I guess it's easier to have a, a mentality of, well, if a customer needs a a change to how the how the platform's performing for them, then we'll try and implement that. Maybe give them a bit quite a bespoke service in that respect. When you get to a size where you maybe have a hundred thousand customers, you could, you don't have capacity for every customer to be coming to you and saying, "Can you just tweak this?" And then you go back. So I guess it's it's a really interesting topic and and challenge. I imagine to make things like you say simplify it so that it's scalable and um, and going to perform where you want it to for a majority of your customers but also give your customers confidence that if there are problems, you can adjust and change things and try and suit them, right? So striking that balance between what's feasible to be flexible on versus what you need to kind of stand your ground on and must be, must be a real challenge from an engineering perspective. Yeah, and I, you know, we've sort of always been sort of, we're a software as a service business. We're not a, you know, like right, some of these enterprise models where if you have big enough check, they'll be like, oh yeah, we'll set up a whole other 
Clavio just for you and the, you know, or in your data center or all these things. And like, you know, those are tempting. It's tempting to do, especially when you're a younger company and, you know, that could, could like triple your revenue with one new deal. But we, um, by design, never did that. And um, so like we have one Clavio and, you know, the same, our biggest customers get like sort of the same architecture and, you know, technology stack as our smallest customers. And um, actually there was one customer who was no longer with us, which is probably okay, but, and I won't <laughs> name them, but they, when I joined, they were, they were by far our largest customer. And, you know, in some ways you don't want that as a software, as a service business, because I have like a, a whale essentially, because, you know, if you count on them too much for revenue, then what happens when they go away? Um, and they can be sort of, they can have different expectations than the rest of your customers. But this company, which I will not name, had just explosive growth. It was also, for me, it was like, a view into what can happen. Like my previous company was in the world of um, uh, clinical trials, uh, working with pharma companies. And like, you know, the data, they call it big data, but it's not really big data. Once I saw this, well, like, yeah. Yeah, this like viral <laughs> growth uh, retailer. But the positive side of it was, it really forced us to like solve some of those growth problems ahead of when we would have had to. Um, so like all the customers would benefit from it. But I mean, if you mention this, like to the, some of the old guard at Clavio, like, you know, they'll, if you mention the name, they'll just have these memories <laughs> of having to scale systems um, to accommodate. So it wasn't that the customer was asking for like special services. They just wanted the thing to work. Yeah. And um, it, was kind of a blessing in disguise because you know it gave us some breathing room yeah sure i can imagine and i guess it when you explode to data that maybe you haven't you haven't been prepared for having to in terms of size having to to manage um i guess it's definitely food for thought and learning right like you say the customer may not be with you now but i think certainly learning on um on on how to how to adapt, how to improve the product, how to react as well in those situations. Um, mm -hmm. And I imagine to some degree, accepting when actually some things just aren't possible. So rather than trying to, to say yes to, to everything. Yeah. Um, now, talk to me about some of the challenges you've had when it comes to internationalization and the localization of your platform as well. Because, of course, headquartered in Boston, we've discussed in the past growth into London now, which is where you are today, um, and even further afield. Um, talk to us what internationalizing and localizing a product really means um, for you and actually what that entails and what that's probably going to entail for you for you moving forward. Yeah, so um, our, the second office we opened was here in, in London and that was sort of right before the pandemic, um, uh, maybe, maybe close to a year before, but, but you know, but we, um, started hiring up a team and you know the the reality is we already had a number of customers uh in, in Europe and we wanted to be able to better serve them and we we also wanted to expand um 
in the EMEA region. And uh, so up until recently, sort of the teams that were based here were like you know, sales, uh, customer support, success, um, also something uh, called solutions architecture, where we have like more technical uh, folks who will work with you on an implementation. Um, a lot of, you know, we have like customer education in going on in French and in German and in Spanish. So like, you know, like doing training in um, non-English languages, but the product is still, you know, the interface is entirely in English. And I think, you know, and, and some of it's probably you know, just because of the pace we we're growing, like, you know, we have error messages that were written by engineers who like, you were like, probably not even in great written in, in very good English. Um, now the product, like if you want to send messages in say Arabic or Hebrew, like a right to left language, like you can do that. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not an optimized experience. Yeah. It's more of like, you have to sort of know what you're doing to use it. So, right. We have the international expansion and that's going really, really well. Um, you know, I think European markets, like it's, we can go to meet with partners and, you know, yeah, quick it is to get places from London, but like in the Netherlands and Belgium, like it's just, we've developed this whole huge network. Actually, we just had a big Clavio London conference. There were like 700 customers and partners who came wow. to London for this like full day event. Uh, so going great. Much easier to stay connected, right? Than compared to the US. Like you were saying earlier, I think probably to get from Boston to Miami, that, that I mean, you can get halfway across Europe in the same time, right? So yeah. it's, uh, it's crazy, the scale. The scale is crazy. Um, and sort of like, uh, you know, and then the cultural, it's there. And I've really enjoyed right being based here. I think um, it's, uh, we just have a very nice sort of and expanding network of, of partners and customers in Europe who I think or I know appreciate our, you know, having this physical uh, presence here and people here and time zone and, and all that. And actually, the more recent expansion in that way is into um, APAC. Uh, we have a Sydney uh, office okay. sort of following, you know, a similar model uh, to what we did here. But when when I came a year ago, part of the idea was let's uh, look into doing software engineering uh, out of our London office. Because up until then, all the software engineering was in the U.S. before before COVID, all in Boston. Um, you know, now more a little more spread out uh, in the U.S., but still largely like the vast majority in Boston. And so we're building uh, teams here. We now have eleven um, hired, most of whom have already started uh, doing different, uh, you know, sort of focused work like all of our engineering teams, but one of the teams is doing our um, SMS product, like international expansion. So we, in our omni-channel marketing, you can send, mess you know, we messages, email, SMS, um, in-app push, and we're expanding to, to other channels. Uh, the SMS is kind of unique in that, you know, you're dealing with local carriers and 
local uh, sort of guidelines in terms of like what's okay to send and how do you have to offer opt out and when is it okay to send and and that differs country to country, right? So I guess that's a a huge consideration as to being aware of potential limitations on on how you um, how your product runs and what you're doing. So and that must be super tricky when you venture in again. When you think of Europe or even the US, I imagine state to state, it changes. Um, there's not necessarily a one size fits all. So I guess, would you say that's the kind of number one challenge of kind of internationalizing the product per se? Yeah, in that particular case. And I think, you know, in the US, it's, well, first of all, historically haven't been like maybe as focused on privacy as Europe, you know, with things like GDPR. <laughs> California started to do, you know, have, have some things, but it's mostly sort of the same, at least with SMS, it's, it's mostly the same in the, within the country, but like, no, in Europe, it is, it varies a lot by country. And also the, the other difference is it's very common for a European e-commerce retailer to have customers in many different European countries. And right. That's not the case, you know, in the U S generally you're going to have U.S. Uh, customer base. And so like our SMS product becomes much more compelling if, you know, you can actually send messages to all of your, if, you know, if, if, if what about or like in Scandinavia, like where, you know, right, it's very common to have a storefront in different Scandinavian countries and like, right, you want to be able to just send mess. You don't want to have to think about that when you're sending messages to people. So, um, that's a great one to be based here um, because they can work with this engineering team works a lot with our sales and success who are like know these customers and uh, you know I think I just have more awareness of the how things work in Europe and um, so that's one another one is um, right localizing the product so things like the interface. Um, things like, right, how do we communicate error messages? Um, but also, right, how do we, how does the product differ depending what country you're in, in terms of, you know, things like different regulations um, and practices. So that's a huge task um, and that's being um, run out of here. And then, yeah, we also, and we have a, a a third team, I mentioned this deliverability insights team that's operating here. So we're hiring, um, I think it's a really good, I think it's a great company and opportunity to sort of be part of a mature uh, growing software business, but also really like, you know, make your mark and be like um, part of a one of the founding members of this like, uh, European-based engineering team uh, for Clavio. And, you know, there'll be some growing pains, like we're having to figure out, you know, some of the meeting, like how do we adjust the meeting schedules? So, um, like, there was an all-hands meeting that was at a you know, 2 p.m. Eastern and at 7 p.m. here. So, like, how do we fix that? So, like, right, adjusting some of the schedules. Um, we actually just had a big engineering sort of, we called it a hub week in Boston where we flew out uh, the engineers from here to like 
like I think in person time is. Yeah, it's super. Important. Yeah, and saves the. I think if you're opening up in in Australia as well, I think that plane is going to get all the more stronger, right? I think aligning the threes. <laughs> yeah, well, to be honest, no, for we're not hiring engineers in Australia today, right? With I think that's we want to be deliberate about this growth, and I think that we're, that's a whole other set of challenges when you have zero uh, hours, zero hours of overlap um, versus. Here we have uh, a few. Sure, understood. And I think before we wrap up, I, I do want to. I wanted to cover up, cover on um, hiring a little because I think, as we've discussed, Boston is where the headquarters is. I think in terms of scale, numbers, hiring volume um, in the US, there's a huge amount of opportunity. And I think anyone, of course, that is watching this that's US based, um, or certainly Boston based. I'd certainly recommend to check it out because I think the the volume of which the teams are hiring there, technical and non-technical, is 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 on a massive scale. Um, but talk to talk to me about particularly the London growth and anyone watching this that that may be interested, maybe open, especially that's coming from engineering or data science domain. Um, talk to us about what type of skills you're really interested in seeing, um, what you would typically look for, um, what types of projects they might be typically working on. Yeah, so no, I, we're looking for, um, you know, in software, like sort of strong software engineering uh, foundations. I think, you know, we're, we're, we're generally, we're, you know, we're not, we don't have a list of specific technologies. I mean, there are certain technologies that we use as a company, but we believe and have seen time and again that, you know, someone who can write really good software and one language can write really good software in another language. And, you know, sure there's some ramp up, but um, it's, that's better than someone who can write like, okay, software and the language that you, you happen to use. Um, so, you know, I think if you look at our job listings, you know, we sort of, you know, you'll see that, you know, right. Looking for um, software engineering uh, expertise, I think, right. And intro we want people who are interested in, in, um, communicating with customers and, you know, aren't sort of put off by, by that. Um, someone who's comfortable with sort of, you know, I think the growth that we have, you know, means right, we're often sort of assessing how we do things and refining things and making changes. So it's right. It's not like a sort of very, um, static, uh, role or like you have to be open to okay processes are going to change and maybe at a pace that you know might not be always totally comfortable but um that's roll your sleeves up and get moving yeah and like <laughs> yeah and and also get involved like right it's definitely a place where people can you know if they see something that's not working like you're going to be and you decide to take it on and, you know, try to get consensus, like, right, that's going to be celebrated. And that's not one where people are going to say you're something else. Uh, and do you look for, do you look for a particular kind of background 
uh, in ter- I assume it doesn't need to be industry specific, but are there particular backgrounds or um, I guess focus area specialisms that you think historically have worked really well that, that you're interested in? Or, or are we talking, you really are as, as relaxed as if you're just a solid engineer that loves working on difficult customer products um, and you can interact well and <laughs> get stuck in, then it's an open, yeah. open um, book. Well, I will say, for some reason, we have a lot of people who come from a physics background. I don't know exactly why that is, but um, actually just yesterday, uh, I don't know if you're following this this um, room temperature superconductor story okay. out of South Korea uh, that's been in the news just very recently. But um, we were in a meeting and I brought it up and then one of the other people were like, wait, but how does that, what does it really mean? Like, and then one of the guys in the room was like, all right, I guess I'll get on the whiteboard. And so he, um, <laughs> he was like, he studied physics and proceeded to give us like, oh, I wish it was on this whiteboard, but like, you know, um, layman's terms of exactly how, how it works. How and, it works. Yeah. And then we started talking about MRI machines and how they work. And um, so no, right. Like that kind of curiosity and, um, like that's definitely uh, sort of rewarded and right. Like I wouldn't be afraid that someone would see that and say, what the, why are they wasting time? Like that has nothing to do with the work they're doing. And actually I sent a picture of the whiteboard to our CEO. I was just like, I was like, I think you'll appreciate this because he actually also was physics. Like, get it. Oddly, there's a lot of physics people. Um, but that's, Seems to be really that's not a requirement. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But so, certainly someone that's curious, someone that enjoys that, the fun of kind of learning and, and understanding different problems. And I think that's a good point that you make. Um, and it's that mentality, right? Whether it's related to the work all the time or not, I think that curiosity to learn and, and understand how something works, um, it's, it's, it's always a good skill to have. Yeah. I think. Uh, on that, one quick thing is that um, one, of our, one of our unique benefits as a company, to like an employee benefit, is our book reimbursement policy. And we will reimburse, like any book that you want to buy, um, you can submit for reimbursement. Like, Expensive. And, it's, nice. and then people are like, wait, you mean like a cookbook? And we're like, yep. Like, a, like basically any, if it can't be a rare text, you can't like buy a first edition yeah, kind of with the intention of reselling it. Yeah. But if, if it's something you're interested in, like fiction, like I think, right, a lot of companies say, oh, if you buy a book and it's directly related to what you do at work, like, great, you know, yeah, support that. But no, we yeah. want to support your sort of overall curiosity. Um, yeah, that's really, I've, and I've not heard of that before either. So I think that's a really, um, and that probably speaks volumes to the culture as well. And I think, I think anyone listening to that will, no doubt their ears will perk up with the avid yeah. readers out there who can go to town in, in a bookstore and not have to worry about the cost of it for yeah. sure. But um, look, I really appreciate your time today, Ezra. And I think as always a massive thank you. Um, anyone tuning in, please feel free free to like, share, comment. It always helps give exposure to, to the podcast and the episodes that we run. Um, and I would say that if you are interested in the growth that Clavio have gone through in recent years, I think it's a really fascinating story with the growth trajectory that they've been on. I think culturally how, for me anyway, the impression is given of still very much being startup scale up with, with voices being heard, impact being able to be had. Um, 
I think it's it would be good for you to reach out to to Ezra directly, or certainly check out their careers page, which I'll share in the link below as well. Um, but as I say, thank you very much, Ezra. It's been a pleasure. Um, and for now, goodbye. Thank you, uh, Lloyd. It was fun. Hey guys, thanks for watching this episode. Uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge, sharing and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.